Hi, this is Parker Bone III, and you are listening to the Above180.com podcast with Joey Serrar and Tim Berg. Hi, this is Krista from BowlerX Pro Shop. Come check out our promos that we're running on the new Brunswick Nexus balls, as well as the C-System Alpha Max and Ultimax. And that's at BowlerX.com. Above180.com, taking your bowling game to the next level. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews and coaching to drilling layouts. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowlers Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Joining us on this show is Tom Clark. Tom is the commissioner for the PBA. Want to check Tom out on Twitter? He's at Clark PBA. Uh, so follow him at, at Clark PBA. Tom, it's Tim Berg, Joe Serrar here. Thanks for getting on the air with us today. Tim and Joe, thank you for asking me to come on, and uh, congratulations on your show. I've listened to just about all of them, and, and congratulations on your website. It's great for bowling, and and uh, you know I've known Joe for a while, and obviously he's always been great for bowling. And Tim, thanks for helping out with all this stuff, and so. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's important that, that we get the word out in as many different ways as possible as to the virtues of the sport, and, and you guys are right on the forefront. So um, thank you for that. I, ca- I can't thank Joe for how he drills my bowling balls because they just never work. But um, and I just have to blame Joe for that. But but other than that, you guys are great. You know, Tom, they they say it's not the arrow, it's the Indian. But I make sure your arrows are straight. That's all I can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the holes are the holes in the ball are not the problem, so I, I'll take that back. But yeah, I, I, and I, I'm I'm the same way. I I can't blame myself when I bowl bad. It's uh, it's bowler ability and disability sometimes. But uh, you know, you and I both love the sport, so I always start today's show off with uh, strategy in the PBA. You know, in in all these other professional venues, there's there's offense, there's defense. Bowling's never really been known to have any defensive uh, measures, say, built into it. It's always been offense. Uh, on the PBA site, there's a, a link uh, with Mika's strategy. And, and by the strategy, what, what, we, what that means, I'm sure, is his practice session, 15 minutes of practice session, he has the ability to manipulate the lane pattern. Do you want to kind of expound on that, Tom? Well, yeah, and it's uh, it's definitely interesting, um, interesting reading and in, and interesting uh, to watch. And and we have a uh, uh, we have a clip also that's on YouTube and on PBA.com that that kind of shows what Mika's strategy going into tomorrow tomorrow afternoon's show uh, when he's bowling against uh, you know Rash and Belmo are in the are in the first match and they're gonna they're they're bowling to find out who's gonna who's gonna Mika in the title match. So during practice, you know, you see Mika pull out this this uh, incredibly sanded, you know, highly sanded bowling ball and and basically dumping it in the middle of the lane for and it's hooking to take off the seven pin and he does it numerous times and and alternates that with with using his plastic ball to go across the lane and you know and as Jason Thomas uh, you know diagrams and explains um, you know for for fans that aren't that aren't familiar with this type of practice. I mean, he's essentially trying to play defense and and uh, take away areas of the lane from his opponents that, in, at least uh, you have to believe in his mind, uh, 
possess uh, an ability to do something that he doesn't, you know, and, and all, you know, the thing is, it's within the rules today, and so, you know, he, you can't, you can't really blame Mika if it's within the rules. He's playing the game as it is. The question is, should the rules remain that way? And and I think that uh, it's it's a serious question that, that, that you know this is this will be the first time people know that we're gonna we're seriously gonna take a look at that. And because uh, you know personally, I'm not I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that part of the game. Uh, you know. To, to the largest degree, you know, you, you could liken it to uh, watching a golf tournament and watching somebody walk in someone's line and uh, and drag their their spikes across a, a putting line. You know, it might not be as dramatic a, a thing as that, but you know, then the funny thing is, a lot of people that are that are avid bowlers today, they seem to like this kind of strategy and they seem to like this uh, idea that you can play defense in bowling and. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, does that mean we need to cover the the practice sessions? You know, do we address the length of practice? Do we address the rules on how many bowling balls you can use and whether or not you can pull out a ball like that and try to dramatically impact a lane condition? Um, you know, there's a lot of factors. You know, I, I was talking to a great Hall of Famer yesterday, and, and uh, you know, and his opinion was, well, you know, I, I just think a, a bowler should should want to should want to beat somebody at, at their game and, and want to win, and not try to just stop them. It, that's almost admitting a a fault in their own game. You know, but I don't think Mika is intimidated by anybody. You know, clearly he's one of the greatest players of all time, and can beat anybody at their own game. You know, but but you know he's playing within the rules, and he's coming up with a way to either get in someone's head or really create a, a situation where he'll have an advantage and uh you know if it's if it's within the rules you can't blame him but uh, we got to look at those rules the one thing that i noted i read jason's piece as well is the ebonite people behind mika were a little concerned that mika might be point you know putting himself in his own box and forcing him to play a tighter line on this on the you know part of the lane that uh, he's good at playing any part of the lane but making him stay to the right of the area he was trying to burn up where Jason was going to be so uh, it could work both ways it could work for you or against you and then the other thing is though I see people even in just tournaments in, in on the east coast here do the same kind of thing or even in league play where they'll take maybe a urethane ball and just know that that urethane ball is going to carry the oil down the lane a little bit so you see this at all uh, levels of competition, so it's interesting the PBA is going to take a look at what, what can be done. Uh, maybe by shortening the practice time, there wouldn't be as big of an effect on something like this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not new. You know, I think a lot, of, a lot of avid fans will remember, you know, one, probably one of the first times that it was obvious on TV was uh, a world championship about five or six years ago, or maybe even more, uh, when uh, a young Chris Lowshedder uh, was bowling against Brian Voss, and and uh, Lowshedder did this uh, type of thing, and and uh, he was pretty innocent about it because to him there was nothing, nothing terrible about it. But but Voss really kind of went off on it, um, and and ever since there's been different. I mean Walter Ray, you know, you would constantly use a plastic ball during practice, and and just I, I think at least partially to carry down oil in areas that he wanted it to be, and and take away an outside shot for his opponent and. You know, so you know the greatest have done it. It's not like a Belmo and a Rash wouldn't wouldn't do things like this too. Uh, you know, 
it's um, you know the, the bowling balls have so much impact, and the and the amount of oil is so easy to to move around now because there's more of it due to the bowling ball strength, and and so uh, people are constantly you know the players are constantly thinking ahead, and and so. They, they try to figure out, well, if, if I get through this game, the transition is going to be, you know, X, Y, Z. So if we get to that part of transition, then I analyze my, my opponent. And if my opponent is better at that part of the game than me, then I don't want that to happen. So I'm trying to influence the future. And, and so there's an element of all of this that's really fascinating. But, uh, you know, there's also an element of it that's just not that, not that fun to to watch or to, to the idea that people are trying to do this to each other. So I don't know. You know, that's why we're just going to look at all sides. Again, Tom Clark, commissioner of the PBA, joining us. Follow him on Twitter at ClarkPBA. Tom, you mentioned uh, Belmo and Rash. There seem to be some some issues with them again at the World Series of Bowling. We know this goes back to some events in the summer. Uh, I can't wait to see as, as we move forward here, but are they still kind of at each other? Are they still kind of not on the best of terms? Uh, you know, well, I would say it's it's the hottest rivalry on tour for sure. I mean, you know, obviously you guys know what, what happened in this, over the summer when when, uh, when with the summer series and and the whole bottle crinkling you know incident. There was really an extension of the the bottle crinkling with Brad Angelo that you guys both you guys covered uh, pretty well, you know, and um, and so you know to be. Uh, the the Rash and Belmo were already the two. Uh, young, most powerful players, you know, on tour, kind of the two guys that that think they ought to be the man, that want to be the man, that that are not afraid to try to be the man. So they're already going to have a rivalry. They bowled against each other all around the world for so many years, and they're still young. And and one's from the U.S., and one's from Australia, and one's two-hand style, and one's done everything in American bowling that you could possibly do. You know, so you just... You already had this potential for a great, a great rivalry, and then when it blew up, you know, at that at that summer series, then it continued, you know, all around the world because they kept chasing points in this world bowling tour, and they bowled in Korea and Thailand and Australia, uh, and and all around the world, there never was a, a makeup session or anything like that, you know, and and as you know, they both were really pretty. Uh, emotionally uh, hit by the, the attention that that Bottlegate incident brought, both of them. They weren't, neither of them were happy with the attention they got. You know, they, did, they, didn't like, they didn't like that situation. So, you know, and then, uh, you know, it, it seems like we almost made it up. I mean, you can't make it up that they would finish second and third in World Bowling Tour points and end up on our first show of the season. It's all, you know, it's, it's a perfect scenario for the bowling fan who wants to watch, you know, the biggest rivalry on tour. Then, at the World Series leading up to that show and, and the subsequent shows, they were the two dominant players. I mean, Rash was awesome uh, at, at South Point, and Belmo was right there behind them, and then kind of even he did, did even more. Uh, they both made the same amount of shows, you know, at, at, the, at the World Series. So they clearly jumped out to the forefront. And when they had to bowl, and they had to bowl like, with each other several times during the World Series of bowling at, at South Point, during qualifying rounds because they were qualifying 1-2 in different events. So they'd qualify 1-2, be paired together. And when they were paired together, I mean, it's, it's, it's plain as day for anyone to see. They, they really didn't get along. They, don't, they, they, they didn't feel like they res- there wasn't a lot of respect for one another. 
um, and it uh, manifested itself in different ways, you know. So, so now all of a sudden they end up on TV for this first show, and and, and I think that's what everybody that's a sports fan likes to see is a, is, a, is a match that not only faces the top guys in, in any profession, but guys who who want to beat each other for more reasons than one, you know. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's been any. There's been any. Uh, there's no love lost. Let's put it that way. You, you know, Tom. Rivalries in sports, all sports, are good. I mean, it, it peaks interest. It peaks excitement. Uh, you know, there's that anticipation. What once they finally do meet each other? I mean, we see it in football with Ohio State and Michigan. You know, we see it in basketball with the Celtics and Lakers. And years ago in tennis, when Jimmy Connors would play against, you know, John Borg. And and then occasionally they throw in Ily Nastasi. I mean, it made for interesting matches. And and I wasn't even a tennis fan, but I wanted to watch those two play each other. And and I think we're kind of seeing that with you know I think we're going to see it in the upcoming shows between these two PBA greats. Uh, you know, there there might be some barbs going at each other or you know fist pumps, whatever it may be. But it definitely adds excitement to the sport, in my opinion. Absolutely, you know, and I think that our guys are not as experienced with uh, that kind of attention, you know, and um, so how they handle it can impact their play, and and, and so you hope they, they handle it the right way. What I think, what my my impression, given the the results of the World Series, was that they both used it as motivation. I mean, I I think they both thought of it as you know what. I'm going to prove it with my bowling ball, uh, and and they came and a guy like Rash, you know, came to the World Series with a with a focus that I've never seen out of him. Every single ball, and I mean, and I think that 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 all of this talk and hearing people spout off in different directions really motivated him and focused him, which which is something that a guy like Rash, you know, sometimes needs. And then and then Belmo, uh, same thing. I mean, I think he came in with a with an idea that. You know whether he was right, he was right or wrong about things, but he feels like people are against him. And you know what? He's going to prove it with his bowling ball. He refined his game. He he worked on his game as much as anybody in that tournament, leading up to the tournament. Uh, and and he and he, you can see it in his style. I mean, it, it, it's it's refined. It's it's lethal. You know. So those guys, I think that what the other players on tour probably wish they didn't have this rivalry because it's pushing both of them to go. To go leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. <laughs> you know, you know, Tom, and, and you're right. And I have the the pleasure of watching Extra Frame. I, I've subscribed to it for years, and those two players were you you were, you hit the nail on the head. Were more motivated to prove to the world that they are the greatest players out there, and they dwarfed other great players in in their play. And you could just see it in their eyes. They weren't just there to compete. They were there to prove something, and they both got the job done. You know, now getting back to our original question about this strategy thing, has the PBA ever thought of possibly giving them their 15 minutes on a different pair right next to it? And, well, I, I realize sometimes that's hard to do with the uh, seating areas, but maybe an adjacent pair, and then allowing them, say, two or three shots on each lane before the competition on the actual TV pair so they can't manipulate the pattern. Yeah, you know, absolutely. There's, there's been we've we've talked about just dozens of different 
scenarios and and have changed practice rules over the over the years uh and they and they're always different given different scenarios i mean in this in this particular situation it would be absolutely 100% impossible to practice anywhere but on the tv pair because we were in an arena so there's only two lanes you know so the only place oh. that someone could even warm up was on the lanes we were going to use for the show um so you know there's always different factors you have to take into play, play but you know I, Great players like a Chris Barnes, you know, he will he will argue and make uh, make solid points that, you know, you you have to have the practice time on the pair, um, not only not only to try to you know decide how you're going to play, but but a fre- as you know, Joe, a, f- a completely fresh pair of lanes with a PBA pattern on it becomes even even crazier sometimes. It's fair, it's fair. There's no doubt about it, but it's but it becomes an even more uh, fluid shot, you know, uh, because because the the less balls on it, you know, the more the oil moves, you know, more dramatically. It's not worked in. There isn't a, there isn't a shot or a or a, a pattern that's uh, that gives it that has a chance to to sit and be worked in if there's no practice on it, you know. So you, you go back and forth on what's actually the right way, but I, I can you can trust trust me that we do we are looking at every every possible scenario for the. For the most fair, you know, most sporting, most credible, and most integrity-filled uh, um, way to, to conduct a, a bowling tournament. And again, the World Bowling Tour finals kick off on uh, ESPN tomorrow, one o'clock Eastern time. Want to tune in for all the exciting action as we move forward here, Tom? The World Series of Bowling just wrapped up. You guys finished uh, all the taping last month. A very busy month for everyone with the PBA. What are some of the challenges that are associated when it comes to? the way the format is right now and, and the way the tournaments are structured and the way the bowling is, is taking place for the first, you know, month or month and a half of the season? Uh, you know, challenges with, with regards to the World Series in particular or, or in the context of the whole year? Well, with the World Series in particular, I know one of the things that, as a bowling fan, concerns me is watching things on a tape-delayed basis. So the winners leaking out there... It's not what I want. I mean, I want to be watching this like it's live, even though the winners are out there. Yeah, and and so do I. And uh, and I think and I think for sure, you know, in an ideal world, we we would be live uh, every week. I mean, we're, uh, you know, I don't I don't want any fans or anyone to think that you know TBA you know prefers you know being taped than live. I mean, it's a it's a necessity right now for these for these shows. We obviously have live majors coming up in the second half of the year, the Masters, U.S. Open, the Tournament of Champions, and, and we have some live events uh, in, in different cities, Columbus, Detroit, uh, Indianapolis, and Fountain Valley, California, that are that are going to be national tour stops. They're going to be exclusively on extra frame in the second half of the year. So those things are coming up, but but the, the World Series, obviously, is a taped, uh, is taped finals. Fourteen shows came out of the World Series, and, you know, Protecting those results is not—it's not something that we're hawking on or anything. I mean, if anyone was at that event and wants to talk about it freely, and and any media that was there wants to report results, we we certainly don't put a clamp down. I mean, they can do anything they want. Us personally, the PBA and our communications—you uh, know—we don't put the results out there uh, other than with with any other than with a spoiler alert. That would make sure you don't you don't find these results unless you really really want them, despite the show's not airing. So we don't want them out there. And and for the most part, you know, when you consider that uh, our audience for this first 
these first two shows, which are tomorrow. Don't forget the women's uh, World Women World Bowling Tour final is actually follows the uh, men's uh, tomorrow at two o'clock Eastern. Um, you know the the people that uh, the the people that are going to see that show. You know, let's say it's roughly seven hundred thousand. You know, heck, we hope it's more, but if it's going to be around seven hundred thousand people are going to watch that show. Um, almost 90%, I mean, more than 90% of those people do not know what's going to happen. And that's just the reality of, uh, of bowling. That's in, in a way, it's a, it's a bad thing because, you know, if, if the media, for example, the mainstream media had a, had a high demand of, of wanting to report bowling results, then most people would know who won. Like if this, if this result was going to be on ESPN two weeks ago when it happened, uh, you know, people would know. One, but because at this point in time bowling isn't covered that way, um, most mainstream sports fans that are watching our show on ESPN, they don't know what happened, you know, and uh, and so that's you know that's kind of why we we can even uh, justify and make and make this thing make this thing work. So it's a challenge. It's 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 not an ideal situation, but we're confident that most people don't know what happened. And if you and the people that do know. You know what what happened on these shows. Um, you know, other than other than the the select few that were actually on site. Um, you know, the, the people that do know, first of all, are huge bowling fans that would want to know those results. And those and those types of people um, are, are the type that want to watch anyway. You know, no matter who, if you knew somebody won tomorrow, I think they still would want to see how they did it and how they got there. And I can guarantee you, having been there, that. There's moments that happen on on these shows that I've never seen before, you know. So and I've seen a lot of bowling, and I, and uh, it, it's it's definitely uh, something you want to see play out, regardless of whether you knew the, the results. Well, Tom, I'll tell you, you're way off on that projection of seven hundred thousand because the Packers don't play until three p.m. Sunday, so you're going to be about one point five million. <laughs> All right, beautiful. Well, that'd be fantastic. We need now, getting into my Green next Bay question. <laughs> Uh, everybody being in Green a ball Bay, guy, and you know I'm a ball guy, in... right? Well, I'm sorry, I missed that, Joseph. Okay, Joseph. as you know, or maybe you don't know, but you know, being a ball driller for 38 years or so, you know, I'm a ball guy. I want to learn and see anything and everything about bowling ball equipment. Uh, all the manufacturers that want to be PBA licensed can be used on TV. I want to see more information about what balls are being used. And we know equipment plays a part, but it's still the bowler. But I want to know what kind of balls are being used by who's ever on. I want to know the layout. I want to know what surface. And I want to know why that individual PBA player chose that particular layout and ball for this environment. And if he makes a ball change, I want to know why he changed to ball B after starting with ball A and, and what reaction differences he should see. Is that something that could come to fruition on the PBA tour? Well, I think uh, you know that you've seen a lot of steps towards that in the last couple of years. I mean, I I agree that's a big part of the game and it's a big part of the strategy. So that's what we've you know I, personally I, I've tried to tried to have that influence on on our communications and our presentation. For one, on the show itself, you know, last year we introduced uh, uh, an arsenal graphic. That, that listed, you know, here's here's the bowling ball that at Meek for let's for example Mika's disposal, you know, and he's got these four bowling balls 
that he could use today, most likely. And we, we even attached hook ratings to each one of those bowling balls and put that graphic up. And it gives people an opportunity to see, well, oh, he's got a, a excuse me, he's got a 10, which would be the highest hooking ball in his bag. He's got a 6, he's got a 4, he's got a 3. So you know that, well, he could move to a, to a low, um, less powerful ball if he wanted to. And then when the move happens, we would switch we would switch the, the graphic to say, okay, he's gone from the 10 to the 6. You know, that's something we introduced last year and will continue this year. That's a step towards what you're saying. I think some of the other things you're talking about might be uh, a little bit over the heads of, of people. We've got an hour and a half of a show, or in, in this case, it's an hour show uh, with the men's final uh, tomorrow. And, and, uh, and in that hour, I don't know if you can really get totally into things like how the ball is drilled and, and stuff like that. But what we've done, and I think if you, if you go back in our archives on Extra Frame, uh, is we do all of that on Extra Frame. I mean, we've got, we've got interviews with the players before the show, and we've got interviews with the players after the show. We've got interviews with the ball reps after the show where they literally hold the ball, bowling ball up, show you exactly how it was drilled, compare it to the other ball. I mean, in, in a lot of instances, it'll be the same make and model bowling ball, just drilled differently, and they'll, and they'll explain why he went with one ball over another. Um, so if you really want that stuff, we've, we've done so much in the last couple of years to bring that to the, the true fan. And we're trying to get that, that information to seep its way onto the actual television show as well without overwhelming that show, because when we talk about that 1.5 million people that are watching, you know, it is a small percentage of them that, that really will be able to grasp what you do, Joe, with a bowling ball, you know, at, at a, and, and not only be able to grasp it, but, but continue to be entertained and, and stick with us if that's all we're talking about, you know what I mean? So, but Tom, couldn't that be done with one of those ticker tapes on the bottom of the screen and it wouldn't interfere with any of the show or any of the speaking? To just, to just kind of list it? Yeah, it's, it's something we could, we could definitely consider. I mean... You know, it's kind of similar to what you'll see with NASCAR, you know, and there's something ticking on the screen that maybe as a casual fan, they have no clue what it's, what it's talking about, but, but the, the hardcore fan does and it feels more engaged that way. So, yeah, it's, it, it's an idea. You know, we're, we're in HD this year all year long um, for the first time. Over, it's overdue, obviously, but we're, we are in high definition on ESPN, and, and it does afford us um, more space on the screen. And... And so we're, gonna, we're trying to utilize the, the CAT system from Kegel a little bit more with that extra screen space. And, and so using that screen space to, uh, to talk about some of these issues is, is not a bad idea. And, Tom, I want to f- finish up here uh, again. Tom Clark joining us, uh, commissioner of the PBA. Uh, it was great news to see that the USBC and the PBA were able to come to terms regarding the animal patterns being used for the USBC Sport League. So just want to get your comments on that and that relationship as things move forward. As someone who likes bowling sport patterns, myself and Joey both do bowl in sport-sanctioned leagues. That is something that I know for me is a welcome back because I love being able to bowl on the chameleon and the cheetah and the same patterns that the pros are bowling on. Thanks. Yeah, no, we're, I'm really happy about it. And as 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 you guys know, I I, I previously worked at the USBC and was really uh, involved with the the formation of the PBA experience uh, PBA experience period. You know, with Steve Wonderlick at, at at USBC and and uh, and a lot of other uh, people to make that to make those types of leagues a, a reality. And it really, um, you know, it's 
it's an awesome opportunity for bowlers. And to me, you know, anyone that's in a classic league should really be bowling on these on these patterns. And, and it's not limited to just the animal patterns. I mean, you got those five patterns, but you can also use our Tournament of Champions pattern or U.S. Open or our World Championship, our Earl, Earl Anthony. Uh, we've got a whole bunch more, you know, now in, in addition to just the animal. And, um, you know, it, it just is such a great opportunity to, to connect with, uh, with the, the scratch bowler who we need to bring back to be a, a PBA fan. You know, I think over the years, for, for whatever reason, and many reasons, you know, people just aren't as connected and, and following the PBA as they used to be. Uh, the type of people that you just would assume, of course, would, you know, the scratch bowler out there or the, or the competitive tournament player and, and things like the PBA experience where, you, you know, you, we, take, we take advantage of this take advantage of the new technology which enables you to lay down a pattern to its to its precise you know numbers um and and we and we give and we give the the league bowler a chance to bowl on the exact stuff that the pba guys bowl on and and uh, so working with the uspc is uh is something that that should happen and, and and definitely glad that it's back it's back uh, uh where it is i mean that's i that's all i bowled myself uh for for a couple of years was in a was in a sport league and on those patterns and, and it made me you know appreciate what the pros were doing more and it made me watch the pros to see how they played those those types of conditions and so you take those strategies you know back to uh to your league and and try to match yourself up with a, a pro bowler obviously as joe knows i throw the ball exactly like sean rash so I watch Rash, and then I even go better, out and even better, Tom. <laughs> What's that? You throw it even better. <laughs> yeah, he, he. I think that he modeled his game after me, and and uh, so I try to do what he does out there. <laughs> well, we'll have to get Sean on to uh, to see what he thinks about that. But Tom Clark, uh, Commissioner of the PBA, thank you for joining us. Uh, you've been very gracious with your time. And Tom, uh, we've been doing the show now. This is about our 14th month. We're going to do this a, l- a lot more with you and, and keep up on the PBA as uh, we need to get people and keep the casual fan interested in bowling and keep the, the same people that we're trying to target with Above 180 are PBA fans. They want to subscribe to Extra Fame. And by all means, subscribe to Extra Fame because you can get more information than what you see on the telecast and you can find out everything. Uh, got great features, like you're saying, with, with Jason Thomas and uh, Jackie Bowling and uh, Mike J. Laneside. So uh, for Tim Berg, Tom Clark, uh, good luck and good bowling. <laughs>